Hey, and welcome to the Boise Coffee Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Mansfield, and today I'm joined by fellow coffee fanatic and founder slash director at Crema.co, Emily McIntyre. Thank you so much for joining me today, Emily. How are things in Portland? Thanks so much, Colin. Delighted to be here. Portland is cloudy, perfect weather for drinking coffee. (laughs) Excellent. Okay. So just for a little background, um, Emily and I first met over Twitter, actually. Uh, She reached out to me back in January. And since then, we've had a little bit of a back and forth conversation, um, both on Twitter and over email a little bit. So I'm super stoked to finally have her on the show and to hear a little bit about um, where she's come from, her life in coffee, as well as, of course, Crema.co. So I guess, Emily, that's the first place I want to start is for you personally, um, how did you get into coffee and and why? What was the, the background on that? That's such a good question, Colin, and it's one of my favorite to answer. I was a music teacher. I taught classical piano and Celtic harp, and um, I stumbled into a job in coffee. Somebody I admired told me I'd have a good personality for coffee, and I took her up on it and started applying for jobs in coffee. So it wasn't any great realization that got me my first coffee job, but what I found when I entered the industry as a barista was this wonderful community of people who were centered around a beverage that provided a ritual and a safe place. And this was in northern Kansas City. I actually met my husband over an Italian-style cappuccino. We were both baristas in the same part of town. And uh, so, of course, there's, there's a lot more there for me than just a community focus. We still do coffee together. It's the thing that we do. So, yeah, I got into coffee for the community. And uh, eight plus years now, it never disappoints. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The people that I've talked to that started at Barista, I guess you could say at the ground level in, in a way, but it's also sort of the... Um, the root of coffee as well. It seems like baristas that then go on to do other things in coffee have this this deep appreciation that goes goes further than just like, oh, I like the beverage or oh, whatever. It's like this background that it means something to them. Absolutely. Well, and you know, it's similar to being um, a good bartender. I think when you're on the ground seeing the same people every day and, you know, getting to help their needs in one way or another, you, if you are the personality who, who likes this, you get deeper and deeper involved in their lives and in the beverage that brings you together. And there's really, it's addicting. It's, it's hard to leave that kind of a culture. No, I, yeah, I completely agree. I, um, I ran a, a, or I didn't run, but I was a team member of, I guess you could say, I worked at a, a coffee stand and working with the regulars and the people that um, come in every day. You start you start learning their drinks, and mm-hmm. soon you're making it as they walk in the in the uh, in the shop, or they drive up. In my case, yeah. it's it's a solid relationship, and I think that's primarily what the community's built on. Absolutely agree with you. I love it. Okay, so Crema.co. Um, what's the background on this? And maybe give a little bit of a you know what is it a, the elevator speech if you want to call it that. For sure. And Absolutely. then how'd you how'd you get going? Good questions. So Crema.co is the coffee marketplace where um, coffee drinkers can connect with roasters and farmers. And it's that simple. It's a platform that allows this to happen in a stylish and sort of you choose your own coffee adventure way. It's driven as a coffee subscription. Um, Tyler Tate, my co-founder, is the one who conceived this idea originally. 
Sometime during his college career, he and his wife on their honeymoon went down to Costa Rica and worked on a coffee farm for a summer. And uh, he was deeply impacted by the experience there of sharing lives with coffee farmers and seeing their dedication to sustainability and um, environmental sustainability as well as financial sustainability for the people that worked for them. And so he'd always um, carried that with him as something he wanted to, to work with. He became a data mining specialist, moved to London, um, did several awesome startups, and then Crema.co was born. And I came on board uh, first as a consultant and then eventually as co-founder um, to provide the coffee side of Crema. So um, we operate, as I said, as a coffee subscription. And um, I know, Colin, that you've had the chance to look around the site, but we spend an immense amount of energy telling the stories of the farmers, um, putting their faces front and center and their stories and making sure that all the roasters we work with not only um, you know, roast great quality coffee, but also are dedicated to making sure that the farmers who work with them uh, are receiving just and fair prices for the coffee so that they can have sustainability as well. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So. Uh, as far as the coffee subscription thing goes, I know that there's a lot out there. Um, I've seen, I, I know originally uh, a number of years ago, I, I started um, subscribing with uh, with Tonks that yeah. ended up getting bought out by Blue yeah. Bottle. Yeah. And um, while I was at college, actually. And so, I, you know, I'll be honest, coming into, I saw, you know, after you hit me up on Twitter, I, I checked out Crema, your website. And um, and I was like, okay, yeah, it's a coffee subscription service, whatever, whatever. But you're right. As I started looking around, it was like, there's, there's something different here. It's not yeah, just a, yeah, for sure. like, it's not just, and I don't mean that in like, you know, to, to brown nose you or whatever. It's, it's like, there's, there's a story there. There are stories to be told. And I feel like you guys are, are maybe that's what sets you apart. Do you think that that's the only thing that sets you apart or is there more to this coffee subscription thing? How have you guys been able to, I guess, make that better? Yeah, that's such a good question. Coffee subscriptions are awesome to start with because you're getting coffee on a regular basis, you know, great coffee. Um, Crema is a much larger picture than just a subscription. Um, we love the subscription model because it allows us to regularly reach out to people who love coffee. Um, but beyond that, we already now allow users to choose coffees. So um, as you've experienced, Colin, we have something called a brew list, which is like a Netflix playlist. And you can drag any coffee that you like into your brew list and then set your frequency and you'll receive coffees um, in the order that you've put them in your brew list at that frequency. So that's total choice. You can also pause at any point. Um, so that's one way. And then another way, of course, is this connection to the farmers. And we have huge plans to make this um, deeper and to bring the community closer together. Um, and we're also working on a lot of um, user features such as um, recommendations based on your likes and dislikes of coffee. And eventually we see Crema as being the ultimate go-to place for everything coffee for the coffee enthusiast. You know, we got to get there step at a time, but um, those are the short answers to how it's different as a coffee subscription. And I think that's because Crema is much more than just a coffee subscription. We are a marketplace that connects people. No, I think that's a that's an interesting way to put it. So, have you found that there's been a lot of um, competition as far as I, I mean, I know as we were talking about earlier, the the coffee community is extremely inviting. I mean, I, I attended a, a coffee 
con, if oh, you yeah. want to call it that one time. Um, I've, you know, and, and we'll, I want to talk, I want to hear about SCAA later, but awesome. <laughs> as far as that goes, have you found that the competition has been, um, something that has pushed you guys forward or has it been something that's like, uh, this is a little bit weird. <laughs> well, I would say that, um, I firmly believe there's room in the pie for everybody to eat. Um, you know, I've been in the coffee industry now for eight years and outside of Crema, I also own a coffee consulting company and work as a consultant um, freelance. So I practice this in a lot of different areas, but I think that when we come to the table expecting that there's room for everyone and that each person brings something unique, then just naturally we find the people who uh, resonate with, with what we're offering. So from that perspective, I would say that um, competition has been healthy for us. It definitely, watching what other people are doing and learning from them, seeing what's being done well has caused us to up our game significantly over time as we've developed Crema. Um, but again, Crema is much more than just a coffee subscription. So ultimately long-term, we believe that the model that we're pursuing will prove to be something unique and new. And um, perhaps the last uh, such marketplace that needs to exist because it offers everything that anyone needs. Yeah, sure, yeah. So, okay, let, let's get at the little deeper picture then. Um, you said that you came on board to kind of do be the, the coffee subject matter expert or whatever you want to call it. Um, after the foundation of the company. So what, what does that look like as far as, um, do you guys pursue when you're, when you're talking to farmers or you're talking to uh, roasters or however you guys pursue that, um, is there a, is something you're looking for? Is there a criteria or mm -hmm. something that says, hey, this is somebody we want to go after? Absolutely, yes. And so that's, that's definitely something that I handle. Um, first of all, I've been working as a journalist in the coffee world for about five years now. So I've interviewed hundreds of roasters and um, coffee professionals. So I have a wide network of people who I already admire. Yeah. <laughs> and that's been a good starting point for us in determining where we want to go. We definitely have roasters reach out to us and we have a strong criteria as to who we want to work with. And it's simple. We want to work with roasters who are... Um, who care about what they're doing. So that extends to the coffee, the coffee quality. needs to, The coffee needs to be sourced well with an understanding as to the seasonality of coffee and its, its relative quality and um, priced accordingly, of course. And then roasted well. There's a lot of art and science that goes into that. And then deeper, we look to see roasters who are honoring their farmer partners, whether they're directly sourcing or whether they're sourcing uh, quote unquote direct through importers. Yeah, yeah. Um, both are legitimate ways to source, and um, as long as it's done with responsibility, that's what we look for. Yeah, and I was actually going to ask about that. If if direct trade is is like a, a make it or break it thing, or if you guys, I mean, you answered it, but if if there are, I guess, a wider variety of places you look for. Absolutely. You know, the words direct trade um, are so broad and ambiguous at this stage that I hesitate to even use them, except that they do describe something we're trying to accomplish. Um, farmers, just like roasters, just like every person along the chain, deserve to be pay paid a fair wage for what they do. Um, that's the only way that this industry can be sustained, and that's the only thing that justifies it as something other than just a commodity. Um, in fact, <laughs> that's one of our things that we're constantly saying here at Crema. Coffee is a community, not a commodity. And so 
what we look for is not specifically a roaster who says, you know, I always shake the hand of the farmer, I import this myself, um, I, I spend $2 above market price. Um, what we look for is a roaster who's responsible, who understands the impact of his buying, his or her buying purchases at origin. Um, because this is, we're talking about international logistics and politics and a lot of people's livelihoods, both on the importing and the exporting side, and then you've got all the cuppers and quality level um, people and the farmers. So honestly, for small roasters, often working with a reputable importer or more than one importer is a really good way to go um, because those, those importers have the buying capacity to actually impact at a farm level. When you get up to a bigger uh, roast level than perhaps, or you know, roast size, then perhaps you're able to bring in a full container from a specific farm or area. And at that point, you can do more direct dealing. But again, responsibility and carrying that out long term, taking the hits if necessary um, on this end, and not not making not making it so that the farmer pays for anything that goes wrong. Um, that's another aspect of direct sourcing that we look for. So yeah, it's complicated and. Um, hard to dive into at this level, except to say that um, you know it when you see it and it's quite clear uh, when it's not happening. No, that's that's a great point. I was talking to um, a few episodes ago, I was talking to um, a, a wonderful lady named Mary who um, who runs a company that essentially deals with cooperatives in, in Congo. And this that's what she brought up was how Congo's politics are such that, and, and the living situation there such that, uh-huh. um, the the coffee market you know when we talked about direct trade and you're saying you know we pay x dollars above the market it's like they're they're just happy to sell anything yeah um and it's it's one of those situations where maybe that whole black and white uh, direct trade is is good and other methods are bad kind of breaks down when you when you look at things it absolutely with a broader lens absolutely breaks down when you look at it with the detailed lens and every country is different in ethiopia it is illegal to directly buy from uh, farmers without going through the ecx unless you're using one or two loopholes that are available and are very difficult to find sometimes so and that actually that system benefits farmers Uh, it's a little harder for the roasters who want to work directly with farmers but for the average farmer that hugely increased quality of life when those measures were put in place so yeah we have to take it case by case yeah so as far as as far as that taking it case by case goes, when you're when you're talking to roasters, like you said, you know it when you see it. So when you meet when you've met these roasters, I, I understand you've got what about uh, a dozen, thirteen of them. Yeah, we're up to a baker's dozen, a thirteen, and we have several more who will be coming on shortly. Okay, awesome. So when you're when you're talking to them, are, is this something where they're? I mean, I'm assuming they're excited because otherwise yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't they wouldn't be pursuing this. I'm assuming that. Um, that there's a degree of like, okay, so is this the real deal or, uh, you know, we're still going to keep selling our coffee in our stores. So, of course. Or, or have you found that, uh, that they've been sort of like all in, this is, this is all we're doing. What's the, I guess, what's the read? <laughs> well, truthfully, um, I personally don't like working with people who aren't stoked to be working with me. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. so, you know, it's pretty easy. <laughs> Uh, we find and are found by roasters who feel that crema.co can actually add to the, what they're doing. And what we do often is work with a regional roaster who may not have a scope to reach the whole nation. And our users are broadly, you know, pretty well distributed across the U.S. So that's something that we can offer the roasters. And then also um, 
We have a high level of attention to detail, and so it's it's really fun to work with the roasters and you know pull the info about the coffee, do a bunch of research. We have a content writer who spends um, up to three hours per coffee just researching, writing the entries for the coffees, and finding the right photographs. And it's it's pretty in depth, and roasters appreciate that because we're honoring their hard work and the hard work that they are honoring through the farmers. Absolutely. So I got a I got a basic question for you, um, and this this is going back to this brew list idea. So how the heck did you guys come up with this? Um, because because as as we were as I was talking about before. So one of the things that I that I have experienced um, in both reading about and and actually participating with subscription services is that once you get locked in that's that's kind of it you know you you can you can change that a lot of them you can change things but it's sort of like this is the coffee you get or you get two bags of this but it's a little bit more robotic so what what was the mindset that brought you to this okay almost like a playlist what's a what's the um the history behind the brew list Sure. I can't give you technical details because here I have to uh, shout out to Tyler, my co-founder, who has a background in data mining and um, has been fascinated with the idea of creating a marketplace where users could search anything for coffee. Ultimately, long term, we would like to see users being able to search by any possible um, term to find the coffees that they want, you know, whether that's a certain flavor profile or a specific coffee variety or anything like that. And so it was very natural for Tyler to apply his years of experience post-college through several startups to this idea of coffee. And I think that's why Crema uh, is so unique uh, from a technical and from a user experience standpoint, because yeah, there's total choice. And yeah, you can pause at any time. Neither of us, none of us like to be stuck in something. Why do that if you if you have don't have to? So that would be the reasoning behind it. And Tyler uh, could be much more specific on the details of how he developed that idea. No, 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 no worries. So you're telling me that at some point down the road, I could go to crema.co and a giant coffee taster's flavor wheel would be presented and I could just start clicking and find coffees. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, and you know, don't hold me to that as far as the design goes. We don't know what it's going to look like, but you know, we're working on developing that internal structure so that so yeah, you have total choice over what you taste. Okay, um, I think this is a good point to pause and take a break. So um, we'll do that, have a little ad break here, and then um, be back in just a minute. Sounds great. Thanks, Colin. Today's episode of the Boise Coffee Podcast is brought to you by Audible. With over 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word programs to choose from, Audible is the best way to listen to what you love wherever you are. Recently, Audible added seven noteworthy titles to their ever-expanding library. Now, you can listen to all seven Harry Potter books while you commute, relax, or do your chores. 
As a big Harry Potter fan myself, I can personally vouch for the great audio quality of the recordings, as well as the pure nostalgia of walking back into Hogwarts with Harry. Audible is giving listeners of the Boise Coffee podcast a free audiobook as well as a 30-day free trial of their book-per-month subscription service. Visit audibletrial.com slash boisecoffee to claim this offer and support my podcast. Remember, you can pause or stop your membership at any time without paying a dime. Again, visit audibletrial.com slash boisecoffee to claim your free book. And we are back. I am here with Emily McIntyre talking about Crema.co and uh, getting the history as well as um, just how they developed some of these ideas. But I want to transition here, Emily, and and I want to hear about SCAA. I want to hear how it went and why you guys were there. And uh, I've never been to SCAA, and I understand uh, you guys went to um, Atlanta for this. So um, give me some of the background on this. Yeah, sure. Well, SEAA is one of the largest coffee conventions in the world. Um, People from all over the world flock together to look at products and hear the greatest minds in the industry talk about what they discovered in the past year, and also, of course, to do a lot of business. So it's hugely exhilarating and easy to feel lost. Atlanta was my third SCAA, I think, and in my eight years as a coffee professional, and definitely uh, one that has left me inspired beyond belief from the interactions and the excitement and all of the um, joy that, that happened over coffee there. This is so funny because um, I, I, not, not, not SCAA, I completely <laughs> agree, and I would love to go, but, but it's just so if to, the, to the layman. Um, I think the idea of attending, going into a, a big building and uh, joining hands with a bunch of people around coffee might seem a little bit extreme. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I've done it as well. So, um, so I, it's funny that you, you talk about the community and you talk about how it's so, it's so fun seeing what people are doing and everything that is worth I guess pursuing has people come around and and build relationships and, mm-hmm. and community around Definitely. it, and I think coffee is certainly no exception. And in fact, is is probably one of the best examples of that. Yeah. Um, I remember I, I attended a, a coffee con in in New York City, and it was the most caffeinated I have ever been. <laughs> yeah, it's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Were they doing? Uh, I'm sure they were doing all kinds of tastings and stuff there. Oh yes, everyone has their all their new products, and then uh, you know every um, espresso machine manufacturer has at least one booth with all star baristas uh, pulling shots all day long. Yeah, it's hard not to leave just buzzing with caffeine and excitement. So what's what's the reception? What's the reception as you, as you were kind of feeling people out at because I'm sure you were developing relationships and everything at SCA and of course, yes. and uh, swapping business cards and doing that whole thing. What's the um, I guess what's the feedback that you've been getting from people? Honestly, the feedback's been great. Um, it's it's been outstanding, especially talking to roasters about getting involved with Crema. Um, because what we're doing is something new and because we're not, we're really not coming in and stating that, that 
we're putting anyone out of business or that we're um, even really directly in competition, although of course competition exists, um, we've, we've tried to come in with some grace and I think that's been understood. And also, um, again, going back to the community thing, I, I feel very lucky to be deeply involved in the coffee community around the world. And so for me, it's very much a thing of saying, hey, friends, here's what I've been up to lately. Is this something you want to get involved in? And so that's definitely not the same as having to walk up to a stranger and say, hey, you know, I want to sell you something. So yeah, even talking with people who um, were new to Crema or who I hadn't talked in detail about Crema with before, there was a huge amount of receptivity and I, I feel positive about the future of Crema in the coffee industry. Okay, yeah, and, and that kind of leads into my, my next little, I guess, question. And you touched on this earlier, but um, from what you've been saying, Crema is, is certainly um, more than a more than a subscription service and, and certainly with where you want to put it you guys are shooting for the stars and I applaud you for that thank you do you think that this this coffee subscription model or service or how, whatever you want to call it do you think that that's gonna from what you've seen in the coffee community is that something that's gonna stay relevant or are we transitioning more to a hey drink local coffee drink coffee from your coffee shops and um, and maybe not pursue as much from, mm-hmm. um, you know, places, uh, not necessarily across the country, but even maybe a state over. For sure. Yeah. Well, I, I think that the good thing about this question, um, the answer is that those two things can exist at the same time. Really, you can honor local coffee roasters and at the same time enjoy Um, work from other coffee roasters who are local in their own communities because our community keeps growing. We have so much discussion around this concept of a global community and that's true. Um, Really, it's simple to get coffee from New York to Portland. It takes three days. Um, It's it's also simple, a little bit more complicated, but not hard to get coffee to Canada or from Canada. Um, And ultimately, I think long term, it's going to be simple to get coffee from Qatar, you know, or (laughs) um, Latin America to drink. And that only adds value to our local communities, because I think the average user of crema.co is someone who brews a lot of coffee at home and then goes out and drinks coffee in cafes. So there's room for both the, hey, I want to discover more roasters than I can just access in my town. And also, I want to support the roasters in my town. There's room for all of that to coexist together. It's a huge market. There's so much room in it. No, no, you're. I think you're right. And um, in fact, uh, just even participating in some online discussions, I've um, noticed that a, a lot of people that um, want to brew at home, you're right, they're either attending or going to uh, local coffee shops, or they're trying to get into it because they don't have a local coffee shop. Exactly. So maybe they're from a, so, a small so community true. or someplace more remote. And um, this sort of this this sort of model, where not only can they subscribe um, and get coffee regularly, but they can pick, yeah, and they can choose, absolutely. and they can say, "Hey, this week I want this. Next week I want this." So how's the how's the um, the pricing model for this work as far as uh, do you, can you get you know one coffee a week or, or how do you guys have it set up? Absolutely. Well, you choose your own frequency and so that right now is set from five days or I think five days is our least frequent or our most frequent um, purchase. I would have to check actually. Um, you can set your own frequency from you know a month to five days to every three weeks to every 10 days. Um, and you order one 12-ounce bag of coffee at a time. Right now, that's how we have the system set up. 
Every logistic has been thought through. It's a beautiful little box that fits a 12-ounce uh, bag perfectly. And at some point in the future, you know, we may offer other options, but that's how it's set up right now. If you go through coffee quickly, for example, um, you know, I have a lot of coffee that comes through my hands, uh, so I don't I don't need to order from Crema more than maybe once a month. But if for, I didn't have all the coffee that went through my hands and I had my current drinking habits, I would probably be one of the weekly or every five days kind of person because of how much I consume with my house. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't know if yeah. I can swing the five days, but I think I might be able to make a week work. <laughs> yeah, and you know, that's fun because coffee has a beautiful um, peak and you want to drink your coffee around the time that it peaks um, and, and it tastes the best. And so you can kind of predict that based on um, the fact that the coffee's fresh roasted after your order is placed and then um, sent out within three days and then X number of days, two or three days for delivery. You can time that for, for when it reaches its peak freshness and when you're ready to have more coffee. It's really fun. We see some users get, get into it to the point where they're emailing us and they're like, okay, so it's a holiday weekend and I want to make sure that this coffee arrives on X day. So can you push it back one day for me? And it's really fun to see people get that engaged. Oh, that's awesome. So, so as far as that, that timing then works, um, do you guys have a guarantee or do your roasters have a guarantee that like, hey, we won't sell coffee that's older than X? Oh, well, the coffee's always fresh roasted after the order's placed. Okay. So it's it's actually a moot point. So you your order goes through, um, it's, it's an automatic system that we've created. So um, for example, if you have a Sumatra uh, in your brew list set to go next and you're set for processing every two weeks and your two weeks is up tonight, then the system is going to push it through, push the order through at midnight, and the roaster will get an email that says, "Hey, Colin, um, and in X location has ordered a bag of Sumatra." And then the roaster sees that, sticks it in the production queue, roasts it, and mails it within three business days. Brilliant! That's awesome. That's great. So, are the roasters then offering seasonal roasts? They're they're as you know as yeah. the seasons ebb and flow. Obviously, some coffees are made available and others aren't. Yeah, and that's such a fun question for me um, because I work so much with green coffee in my other company. Um, green coffee is an agricultural product, and as such, it not only is subject to many variables, but it also has, of course, harvest seasons, and then seasons when the coffee ships, and then seasons when the coffee's starting to get old, and then seasons when the coffee runs out. And uh, it's so fun um, on Crema to be at this end of it, and then also to be working with green coffee at that end of it, and to see the similarities and in the timing. For example, um, we had several roasters take down a lot of coffees because they ran out uh, last month and now they're they're starting to put all their new offerings on. It's so exciting. We've got Guatemala's coming in and Ethiopia's are just starting to trickle in and um, you see this beautiful ebb and flow with offerings. Sometimes roasters will commit to a farm and so um, you know they they'll run out of a specific coffee in March and then in May they have it again. And so we get to bring that listing back up and update it and make sure the tasting notes are still correct and then put it back and then users who liked that coffee can order it again. And it's, it's incredibly seasonal. And I think that's something that um, I get really excited about and I hope to, to be able to do a lot of communication with our users about how, how beautiful this thing is that we're tied to the seasons and we're tied to the, the international nature of coffee trading. And so that's why, you know, this Brazil that you loved is not always going to be on crema.co. And it's good that it's not because you, you don't want to drink that same coffee year round because you can't. So yeah, that's, that's a, 
a big part of what we do. Lots of coffees coming on and coming off and we assess every coffee before we bring it on to make sure that it fits our market and that we like the quality of it. So yeah, there's a lot around that. So it's, it's interesting that you bring up the, the seasonal thing because um, I think that's, that's maybe something that is or hasn't been communicated as well um, to the average consumer. Because I think we're, we're the average consumer is used to, um, in my opinion at least, is used to walking into um, you know, their, their, their local Starbucks yeah. or perhaps their, um, their local you know, coffee shop. Maybe it's not a, a quote-unquote specialty coffee shop. But, um, and, and they just sort of either order a coffee or there might be you know, Starbucks. They, of course, see that there's different kinds of coffee, but they're all there. Yeah. And you know, in, in their mind, it's like, okay, it's a blonde roast. You know what? So I, I would agree. I would think that, that um, education as a part of this, this seasonal change and mm-hmm. bringing in new things is, is important because, like you said, coffee is a crop. Yep. And I think if you understand that, that coffee is a crop, it's not just this, this uh, everlasting commodity that's always there. <laughs> it's so true. It's, 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 so true. it's a crop. It's finite. And because, when you acknowledge that it is, that it's a crop, that it comes from the earth, then somebody has to pick it. Yeah. Somebody has to process it. Yeah. Somebody has to ship it and roast it and grind it and brew it. Yeah. And, and there's this whole this whole process that plays into it that I think is is lost um, as far as far as the education side of it goes. I so agree with you, Colin. And it's interesting because um, as a writer and as an amateur photographer and someone who has the chance to go and visit coffee farms semi regularly. Um, and be involved in those processes, I feel a deep sense of responsibility to continue broadening the the discussion about coffee as it goes from, as you said, the ground from the warm earth and is picked by actual hands by women and men and children who sweat and go home and enjoy each other and have lives that are driven by this agricultural product. Um, and then it's picked through, you know, it's, it's carefully assessed. All the, all the bad coffee is taken out and put in another container. Um, and then it goes through the processing, which in itself is a huge, a huge, um, subject to discuss. Then it goes, it's, it's put in bags and it's warehoused and, and then it hits the exporting. It gets put in shipping containers and goes across the ocean, um, for months at a time. And then it's, taken into the warehouses here in the United States or in Europe or wherever it's being sent. And then it it gets trucked to the roasters. And then the roasters break down those bags and stick it in their machines and and do magic (laughs) to to take a green product that that smells often like, um, you know, a garden or grass or whatever. And then this turns into this fragrant, beautiful brown bean that we grind and, and make into a drink. And there's so there are so many pieces to this puzzle and, and so many people who are dedicating their lives to doing this well and people who are born into it and people who came to it. And yeah, there's so much to talk about. So this is the amazing thing to me is that in this whole process, one one misstep, one, yeah. um, one yeah. bad batch, one, you know, whatever, any, any piece along, like you said, there's all these links that are, that are any one of those links breaks or is, or is damaged or whatever you want to call it. All of a sudden you don't get the same product. It's so true. Um, it, it influences all the way down the line. Yeah. So I, 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 I greatly appreciate, um, both on a, on a, I guess you could say professional level and, and <laughs> yeah. on a personal level as a, as a coffee lover that you guys are, are pursuing roasters and pursuing coffee shops that are 
um, ensuring and, and doing their very best to make this whole process happen seamlessly, but, but at the end of the day, make it so that the product is great and the people who are, who are a part of that, making that product, are, are well paid and are taken care of. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's a big thing. You know, if if for example, you know, in Central America and parts of South America, the the leaf rust has been a huge issue for the past few years, and we hear it, we see it on the news. But when you go to the farm and you see that half of the trees have been torn down and replanted with tiny little seedlings that are supposed to be rust resistant, and then the others are covered with rust, so that the leaves can't can't um, respirate and have photosynthesis happen. And you see the, the product and how the product quality has gone down out of control of the farmer. And then you learn about the roasters who are still supporting those farmers, still buying the coffee, trying to do their best to educate their, their drinkers and say, hey, here's why the coffee tastes a little funky. And let's all, you know, pitch in and help buy some a uh, new experimental method for this farmer to try to get this Roya out of his crop. That's powerful. That yeah. is what it's about. No, that's awesome. That is, that's really cool. And, and I, I agree. I think, uh, you see some of these, like you like you said, the rust and beetles and all sorts yeah, of different yeah. things. You see this stuff on the news. Um, but, but you're right in a real way. It's, there's this disconnect. There is. And, and it's not that we can blame ourselves for that because it's hard to grasp something that we don't live. But I think that's why we need more video and we need more periscoping and Snapchatting and more, <laughs> um, more like coffee tourism. You know, we need more people visiting coffee farms and learning about the product and taking that knowledge back and sharing it because I have never seen a person visit a coffee farm and not come away impassioned and an evangelist for, um, you know, fair trade, not necessarily fair trade certification, but trade that is done fairly sure. um, and, and, and telling these stories in such a way that it changes the lives of the people around them. And so we need more of that. And on Crema, um, as we move forward through the years, um, this is a huge part of what we hope to help accomplish to bring more light and more storytelling around the issues that matter and the people who are doing good work where they are in the world. Okay, so Crema right now, you've got the coffee subscription model and you've got uh, 13, you said 13 roasters with another seven on the way. Yeah, we'll be bringing on between one and three roasters a month for the foreseeable future. So that's kind of our schedule. No, that makes sense. Okay, and then you've talked about the the long term as far as the pie in the sky that, hey, we would love to be a hub. We would love to be um, a source of education and a source of, you know, all of these things. So what, I guess, I guess my question is, what is the next step to help you get there? What's the, what's the next evolution of Crema going to look like? Well, a lot of that's still being determined. Um, one thing that we've been working on are developing some beautifully shot and developed brew guides. In fact, we have a v- Hario V60 brew guide that's set to go live here in a couple hours. That's exciting. Oh, baby. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, we actually uh, haven't produced, haven't finished the production yet, but um, in those brew guides is is uh, for a traditional Mr. Coffee style brewer. And we had a little sense of humor about that because we really think that um, Everybody who brews coffee at home should get to enjoy it and um, deserves a tutorial to say how to make it taste better, but also acknowledgement. Um, and that's something that a lot of coffee people are not doing. Um, and so we get excited about that. So there's that. Uh, we're really looking to build out a lot of content that educates people. Um, we have a, a blog um, planned out that we're going to launch when we have the manpower and the research finished. 
And yeah, I, I can't even begin to express the many plans that we're working on piece by piece and that will unfold over the next few months and years. It's, it's exciting. It sounds like you guys are going to have a busy schedule. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so that, hey, that brew guide, when you guys get it up, shoot me the link and I will put it in the notes of this podcast. So dear listener, as soon as you, uh, as soon as you listen to this, make sure you click over to the the notes or go over to my, my blog and, uh, and click onto that brew guide because knowing Emily (laughs) and knowing Crema.co, it's going to be good. Why, thank you. It's going to be fun. We had a coffee professional from Portland um, who demoed for us, Elise, and she's charming and extremely educated, and um, it's a blast to watch. Awesome. I look forward to seeing it myself. And uh, f- as a final sort of uh, wrap-up question, this is this is extremely personal now, Emily. Okay. We're, we're, we're getting into the, the uh, I guess, the shadows of who you are. All right. <laughs> what is your go-to brew method? Oh man, you know what? My go-to brew method right now, and this changes regularly, um, is is a new to the U.S. Uh, method called the Kinto Slow Brewer, and it's a company from Japan that has been creating beautiful ceramics and has a, a line they call the Slow Coffee line, I think. And um, we randomly picked this brewer up, and it has captured me. It's glass. It's shaped a little bit like a the, the decanter is shaped a little bit like a Chemex, but it's smaller. And um, it's shaped the the brew device itself is shaped a little bit like a Hario, and it it creates such a beautiful balanced um, coffee extraction while also being perfect size for me when I wake up in the morning before my family wakes up and I'm practicing my Spanish and thinking about the day and taking that time. And also it's, it's well-designed, incredibly attractive. And uh, yeah, so that's my personal go-to method right now. That will change. Okay, excellent. I'm going to check it out because that is, that is new to me, but um, I'm sort of one of those junkies that gets one of everything. So uh... oh, you should know about the Kinto for sure. <laughs> I'll check it out. Um, for me personally, um, as I've been overseas here uh, for the last, uh, oh, I don't know, about two months, um, I've I've had to stick to my trusty old AeroPress um, because it's about oh, the only thing that are could. Uh, oh, absolutely! It's the only thing that could survive the journey with me. I've yet to join the, uh, the what are they called? The Mile High Club for the AeroPress, where uh, you brew up in an airplane. <laughs> about that yeah I've seen some photos about that but I haven't gotten there yet that's some real dedication right there <laughs> all right Emily thank you so much for joining me today um, if you want to do, do you obviously your website is crema.co if people want to get in touch with you guys what's the easiest way absolutely um, you know we have an email address it's hello at crema.co so please reach out uh, we'd love to hear from people who love coffee and Colin thank you so much for taking the time to feature crema and me on your show today and shout out to everybody who's listening and drinking coffee you're doing it the right way. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much for listening today to the Boise Coffee Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Colin Mansfield. With me today was the wonderful and passionate Emily McIntyre. <laughs> and uh, thanks again, Emily, for being on. If you want to get in touch with me, um, you can hit up my website, boisecoffee.org. Um, you can find more episodes of the Boise Coffee Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Um, if you want to get in touch with me personally, um, you can hit me up on Twitter. My handle is at Boise Coffee. And as Emily just said, if you want to get in touch with Crema.co, you can go to their website, Crema.co, and email them at hello at Crema.co. 
thanks so much again, Emily. And, uh, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. I had a blast. <laughs>